0: episode number 117. This is Greg Duncan
1: and Mickey Gousset.
0: Hey, Mickey. Hey, Greg. <laughs> I, I always do that, don't I? I, I, I got to wonder what our, th- our listeners think about. Actually, I got a funny story. I ran into a listener. had a beer with him last week. We'll talk about that later. Um, what have you been up to, Mickey? Uh,
1: work, summer, kids, what? more summer, more work, uh, yarn because it's summer here in Mississippi, so therefore trying to keep your yard green is a futile effort at best. <laughs> what about yourself? Uh,
0: any, any cool vacation plans for you and your family?
1: No, nothing Nothing specifically planned. The kids have the kids have summer camps and stuff that they go to. I'm actually in a production in Starkville Community Theater that opens tonight. We're doing a, what's called an Unplugged, so think of it as MTV Unplugged. We're doing a, a music review as a fundraiser for the community theater down there. So Starkville is my, where my alma mater, Mississippi State University, is, and so we'll be doing that for the next two weeks. So anyone listening to this in the in the surrounding area, there are indeed still tickets available, so come see me. And you have do you still have Radio TFS stickers? I do still do have give some. Give them all away. TFS. Now, I gave most of them away at DockerCon, which was really, really fun, but I still have some left.
0: Cool. Did anybody actually stick them on their laptops?
1: I don't know if anyone stuck them on their laptops, but they had a table, which was a sticker exchange, and I put out (laughs) about 50 or so out there, and I came by about two hours later, and they were all gone. Wow. Wow. Now it could be that no one at DockerCon knew what the heck Radio TFS was, and so they were like, This is cool, I'll take this, but you know, we'll see. So if you're listening to this and you got a sticker at DockerCon, you need to send us where where do they need to send us some information, Greg?
0: Yeah, take a picture of it and send it to us at radio tfs at outlook.com or if that doesn't work, radio tfs at gmail.com. Send us a picture of your radio tfs sticker.
1: And tell oh, us that's... you got it at DockerCon.
0: Yeah. Cool. Uh, yeah, we're going to do a family vacation. I've been working, you know, work, paying the bills, silly, silly stuff. Uh, next week, we're going to do a vacation to uh, Prince Edward Island in Canada. So that's going to be fun.
1: That, that sounds cool. Yeah. Get your passports. All right. I'm sorry. Get your passports ready. Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we got those like three months ago or so. so. All right. Well, let's get started. Uh, we have a special guest today, Mr. Richard Fennell. Richard is the engineering director of Black Market. You know what? Close. I have been practicing this thing for like market. an hour. Yeah, and I still have been messing it up. Let's let, let's try that again. And I just wish we had blooper reels, like we did, would do editing or something. We could have those in that. Anyway, Richard is the engineering director of Black Marble Limited, a Microsoft Gold partner based in the Yorkshire in north of England. Black Marble specializes in BizTalk and SharePoint based business automation. As engineering director, he is responsible for the delivery of system and tools to allow his company and their clients to create great software. He has been an MVP for Visual Studio ALM Team System for three years and is also a TypeMock MVP and a certified Scrum Master. Richard is a regular presenter at community events in the UK and Ireland and the rest of the world, given a chance. Where his most common subject is software testing and the development process. You can read about what he's currently doing on his blog, which we'll have linked in the show notes or later in the show. We'll talk about some of his
2: uh, latest posts. Richard, welcome to the show. I realize that's a very old bio that I sent you. That's nine years, not three years as an MVP. (laughs) Wow. And you're not alone on the black marble side. We're black mabel quite often as well. And it's amazing the number of people who want to sell us gravestones who used to contact us (laughs) trying to sell a stone being back marble.
0: So uh... So, um, we're going to do the the news. It's been three weeks since our last show. I apologize. That's all my fault. Uh, We've got a lot of news things to cover. Richard's going to uh, chime in on uh, things when he gets those interested. uh, Gets those interested. Yeah, now. There
1: you go. Hey, it's all (laughs) live, folks. You're hearing it live because we don't edit
0: you know how how good would we sound if we actually did edit this, man, we'd be like pros, huh,
2: yeah, but I would just th- think how long it'd take
0: a <laughs> yeah, lot yeah, exactly, you know when we're done recording here, i'm gonna you know have a sandwich and then get editing on this and get it up in an hour, so. Oh, wait. I mean, I'll be working and then do it when I get home. That's what I meant to say. Anyway, we've got a lot of news to cover. So so let's get into it. The first item, which all of you are listening to the show for, is uh TFS 2015 Update 3 is available. On June 28th, it was made available for download. Eric Dormer writes a, a brief post with a bunch of links to get the ISO and web installer for server server Express. Office integration, project server extensions, links to the release notes, which is really kind of a scary long list of uh uh, bug fixes and build fixes and version control fixes and uh, fixes and fixes and features and features. One of the big things, I know, uh, SSH support for Git repos, uh, that may be the drive for me to finally do it, Uh TFS 2015 on-prem here. Richard, do you guys do on-prem TFS or...
2: Yes, kind of yeah, we, we, we do both. Uh, it's getting to the point now that I'd say the customers I go out to see are probably fairly evenly split between the two, but we've been using TFS internally since 2015, so we've had every version uh, on-prem. I actually put the uh, Update 3 on ours uh, about a week ago. We, it, we normally look for a gap in our dev cycle, so we're going to pull the servers down for a little while, but it's a pretty quick one. It's uh, This was uh, a lunchtime job, so uh, a nice easy upgrade as they have the last few have all been it's nice it's, it's not 2005 anymore <laughs> <laughs> that's funny
0: everybody who's like been doing this for a while yeah that, that's their nightmare story isn't it
2: yes yes yeah, yeah i i remember doing a presenting at some event and i uh, back in the day and i always used to ask who's using tfs and there weren't that many it was fairly new product and i'll say okay how many attempts did it take to sh- get it installed. And I think the average, I reckoned, across the room was normally about six attempts. First they try it, then they try it having read the manual, uh, then they do it four more times, and eventually one of them used to stick. But, but now it's, it's really rare you see a problem now with, well, with clean installs are always seem to be fine, and upgrades, it's very rare I see a problem these days. If you do, it's normally some infrastructural thing. You've run out of disk space or mm-hmm. some firewall set wrong or something. It's very rare the straight import or the upgrade
0: right right and when you did your upgrade was it from update 2 to update 3 or- yes yeah we oh. we
2: keep our on our internal on-prem server uh it normally gets upgraded certainly within the month of a major release and um, we've done a trial upgrade on dr stuff of uh, any release candidates before so we sort of know what to expect and roughly how long it's going to take so
0: Nice. Uh, Other news, uh, along with the same update cycle, they did Visual Studio 2015 Update 3. And just like yesterday, they announced uh, an update to Update 3 that has a number of uh, bug fixes, uh, other things to the Update 3. And that's an easy one to get. Go to uh, Tools and, you know, uh, Extension Manager and and do that normal update that way. Uh, But this update was lots of nice things in it from you know, what did they touch Yeah, you know, tools for uh, Apache Cordova analytics tools, debugging diagnostics, IDE stuff, so every, pretty much every little piece got touched in this. There's one here that a bunch of fixes are in team Explorer. Now I'm going to go off the, off the rails here. Uh, we just brought a new employee on here and he's a Mac guy. He's our front end developer and uh, he's only been using Git. So trying to get him to wrap his head around uh, the differences between Git and TFVC, which is all we use on-prem and all the developers that are doing, was, it, it's been interesting. And trying to get his Mac connected using uh, Team Explorer everywhere and the Eclipse plugin. Uh, that was fun too. Have you guys done any of that? Ever gotten a Mac user connected to your like TFVC?
2: I have not. I've, I've got a few. i it's, it's more with the people using Eclipse. They've more often been on Linux and they've been doing Android development. But the story should should remain the same. It's not not been too bad. <laughs> yeah, well well, you know it's always the
0: first time. Yeah. Now, when I if I were to do it again or for the next guy, it's going to be easy. But and we only use HTTP on prem. So you know we had it. There's a uh, environment variable you can set on the Mac to allow basic authentication mm-hmm. to go through. And as soon as we did that, rebooted the machine, everything was fine. But that learning experience mm-hmm. was definitely interesting.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, other news. Sorry, go back on the on the rails here. .Net Core, ASP.NET .Net Core, Entity Framework 1.0 shipped as well. Uh, are you guys doing anything? With uh, the .NET Core stuff?
2: Uh, one we're or? not uh, particularly as yet. We're doing a bit of evaluation with it. I've started running some uh, TFS build agents using mm-hmm. Core just to see how they go. They seem to be working quite nicely.
1: I want to play with it some because it makes me feel like I'm back in 2001 when .NET came out. <laughs> <laughs> Reliving your youth.
2: Exactly.
0: Uh, and uh, Richard, that's actually a good call because the next one I was going to talk about, the July hosted... Build pool update images, which includes .NET Core 1.0 with the Preview 2 tooling, 2015 Update 3, June 2016, uh, SQL Server Development uh, Data Tools, the Let's Encrypt root certs, Azure Service Fabric, Google Google Repository version 29, and Android Support po- Repository version 30. Interesting. So yeah, the build pools—they're being pretty, pretty aggressive on updating those.
1: Mickey, what else is new? So, we've also got, and this is going to confuse people a little bit because it actually caught me (laughs) off guard for just a moment. We've got preview releases for Team Foundation Server version 15 or Team Foundation Server 15 and Visual Studio 15. Now, this is not Team Foundation Server (laughs) 2015, but this is Team Foundation Server version 15, which is the next version that they're going to be ultimately releasing, right? So, we've got some links to um talking about the, the that the preview has been released. If you want to go check out the preview of the next version of Visual Studio, I mean of Team Foundation server that's coming. Now, be aware, this preview is not supported for production systems. There is not a go live license, which means if you install it and start using it in production, you're going to screw yourself. So don't do that. <laughs> yeah, but straight from Mickey. But yeah. If you do, we do have links in the show notes to, to a couple of different um, articles on the Team Foundation Server 2015 preview, um, one of which has a link to the release notes where it talks about some of the new things that are coming, such as uh, in this, such as code search, improvements to some of the agile stuff, improvements to some of the dashboards, you know, get improvements, build improvements, pretty much, you know, just, you know, a lot of really cool stuff coming that you'll now be able to use on-premises, premise. sorry, Brian Keller, um, <laughs> and, Therefore, that is something if you do deal with Team Foundation server locally, that is something you'll want to be checking out. We've also got a link in there to um, – I am not going to pro- try to pronounce his name because I get it wrong every time. But a link to um, to – Ricky, who goes in and, tr- and installs Team Foundation Server the preview, and talks about some of the things you're going to see different as far as as how to go about doing the install. And he gives you some good advice on installing in a pre production environment. And he talks about how the code search feature, which is a very which was one of the features that's been requested for a long time, you know how that you know the installer picks that up and does the install and sets everything up for you that you need from that. So it's worth uh, worth a quick read as that read about that as well. And finally, Team Foundation Server is not the only preview getting love there's also the visual studio 2000 or sorry visual studio 15 preview 3 which is different by the way from the visual studio 2015 update 3 are you confused yet because i am a little bit but we still have these previews out there which again which aren't designed to be running in a production environment but it has all of the new features and things that are coming in the next version of visual studio as well so if you like staying on the cutting edge of things then i recommend that you go grab these things and install them Personally, I would install them on a VM. By the way, there's a great cloud out there called Azure where you can easily spin up a <laughs> VM and put these things on if you want to test them out. But that's a bunch of the new stuff that's coming down the pipe that you can play with right now if you want to. Now, Richard, any com- oh, comments sorry. on any of that before we move on? <laughs> Have you looked at uh, – a? Um...
2: TFS
0: 15, Richard?
2: Not in any depth as yet. I, was, I did see all those announcements this week and I was thinking, well, I, I need to pull those down and get them installed or go and have a look to see if there's an image being bobbed up yet into Azure. So we can just click a button and it automatically provisions for us. But uh, okay. I don't think that's the case as yet. So I think it's a case of, as Mickey just said, have to spin up a server and build your own.
1: That hopefully, they will give us an image in Azure at some point because that would be very, very nice.
2: I think in the past, that's sort of tended to appear when, when they get towards release candidates, hasn't it? Yeah. So yeah. Uh, yes. don't. Well, some other
1: news we've got are, and again, links in the show notes, of course, is we've got um, links to a couple of articles where we're going to talk about some of the Git and Team Foundation's version control updates that are available, plus some improved test traceability. This from one of my favorite guys, Aaron Bjork, who is just an amazing guy and always writes some really detailed stuff. Now, I'm going to be the first to tell you that I am old school, so I'm the old man get off my lawn. I like Team Foundation Server Version Control. I have not moved into the world of Git yet, but I promise that I will at some point. But there are a lot of new features coming up that are going to add a bunch of... features to both Git and Team Foundation Server version control to make them a little easier to work with and just add some functionality that's been missing. And as well as some extra um, information around exploratory, te- exploratory testing and how we can gather some of that data as well. So that's a really, I mean, the article is very, very detailed, got a lot of detailed information in it. I highly recommend you read it. There's also a link out there talking to how you can go about, you know, recycling some of your charts and, and some release management updates that are coming as well. I don't want to get into all of the nitty gritty of that because I want to be able to, you know, give Richard time to actually tell us how wonderful he is. <laughs> so anyway, go check out those links when you get a chance and and comment back. Let us know if you think, you know, the team's on the right track with what you're wanting to see in the product. That's actually uh, some comments I would love to see. on whether you think Microsoft's headed the right direction with where you think um, Team Foundation Server is going?
0: Guys, I paused it real quick. Um, Richard, yeah. we can the paper shuffling is coming. through Awesome. That's cool. I how are they I, it still blows my mind that they're able to continue rolling this number of features to uh, um VSTS while rolling the updates to TFS while rolling version quote unquote 15 updates. I mean I like They have it. like a a million people I, doing this. I like
1: it, but I just it's hard to keep up now. <laughs> I'm
0: just
2: too, too old.
0: As a book writer, you know that's got to make it you, like your head explode. Even ever thinking about writing a chapter or something. Oh, I'm not like even that. sure where
1: books are headed now, as far as this goes. <laughs> I mean, if you think about it, the last book that came out on 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 ALM was two, the 2013 book that we wrote. Yeah. Three years later, I'm not even sure what the what the what the plan is now at that at this point.
0: Uh, how could you? You'd have to do like a web book or you know with the online book or something. Even that would be a pain to keep up to date.
2: Yeah, so I got an email notification today for some book that was on LeanPod that they'd done, done a new release and it used to steadily see these, but it's I struggle to. So I, do I go back and reread the whole book or track down the little bit of the chapter that's just gone? And you sort of do have to change the way you keep yourself up to date a little.
0: That's funny, Richard. I got that same notification. Mm. Was, yeah, we've got to be reading that same book. <laughs> um, if I, I'll have to dig that up. Because, you know, we can't talk about it on the show without mentioning it. It's way down. Lean Pub. here we go. New version of Extending Team Foundation Server and Visual Studio Online written by some guy. No, that's rude. Yeah, brought to us. Uh, yeah. No. We'll put the links in the show notes so you guys can get it. But, uh, yeah, I, I can't imagine what it would be like as, a, as an author trying to keep that up to date. You know, as a blogger, I can't, can't keep up to date. Not at all. But you know what? Speaking of up-to-date and speaking about one of our favorite subjects and things that we kind of whine about, and um, Donald Schultz, the It developer and Visual Studio ALM. Visual Studio? Is he a Visual Studio? No, he's not uh, an MVP. We talked about that. But um, he's been imagining it for years and doing all sorts of stuff for TFS, been doing TFS for forever. We had a great beer. He he turned me on to this, and then I saw the update. The Visual Studio 2015 Update 2 ALM VM is available on the TechNet Virtual Labs. And, and Donald really talked this up. He says there is nothing better than quickly spinning this up. It is really very fast. In minutes, you can have a the BKVM basically up and running, no harm, no foul, no downloading, no, no, just there and starting to play with it. And you don't have to worry about it. It'll go away when you're done. In- so if you've been thinking about playing with that ALM VM, we'll have the link in the show notes. This seems like the best place to do it.
2: It's, it's interesting you say that because uh, it's, it's that time of year where people are coming out of university. So we're onboarding new staff and interns at the moment. And uh-huh. we, we, for our basic sort of know your way around tfs training that's exactly <laughs> what we used and we we're going well we can spin up a test vm and do all of this and I, oh, no, hold on it's on virtual labs <laughs> just got everybody to hit it on virtual labs and it even walks them through the hands-on labs so it's awesome. you know it's it, it's so straightforward we had people up and doing labs within five minutes something like it took longer to create live ids it's that sort of thing <laughs> Nice. no <laughs>
0: Yeah, thinking back again, you know, old school. Remember getting the first versions of this and putting them all together and dealing with that. <sighs> yeah,
1: one of the all other right. things that's come out though that I want to to mention real quick though is there's now yeah. an IntelliTest reference manual. Now IntelliTest has been around for about a year, maybe a little 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 longer. I've written some blog posts on it back when it first came out. It's just really freaking cool. And if you've not messed with <laughs> Intel IntelliTest yet, in 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 visual studio then you owe it to yourself to go check it out it's just got a lot of extra capabilities to help with test generation to do it doing you know exploratory testing coverage correctness test case generation all kind of stuff the catch with IntelliTest though is there wasn't a lot of documentation about it and even if there was it didn't really dive into a lot of detail to help you out with that well for top is now again i'm so sorry i got your name wrong but I did. Um, but he has now got an IntelliTest reference manual out there that gives you all kind of details to really make you an IntelliTest expert. So if you've not played with IntelliTest, then you you, you really, really need to go check it out. Now, Greg, have you played yeah. with IntelliTest?
0: No. No, I haven't. I've looked at it. I've been following it since it was called PEX and, you know, mocks and stuff. But, uh... <sighs>
1: Richard, I've tried to sell other people
0: on it. I, I I feel I feel bad. You know, I should be. Uh, uh, unfortunately, and it's not just that IntelliTest. it's the whole unit test level of unit testing that I'm doing. Just not doing enough darn unit
1: testing. So I'm you're, telling you. So you're not doing enough testing, is what you're saying?
0: Uh, yeah, basically. It, it compiles, so that's good, that's right?
1: All it matters runs on your machine. <laughs> exactly. Duh. <laughs> <sighs> What about yourself, Richard? So, I want to know if Richard's best with test yeah. before you move us on.
2: Okay. I've, I've, I've not been using it for any production projects. It's, it's it's an interesting set of tooling that I always came to it that with the perception that if you des- architected your project right, you didn't need it because it was fairly straightforward to write unit tests because you've got nice interfaces. And if you hadn't written your project right, it probably wouldn't work anyway. But I think that's, that from all the tests I've been in, that's not the case. It, it, it's, it's a lot more powerful than you initially think from having a first look at it. And, uh, I, I need to go and reevaluate it again now, because, uh, certainly the, the, it is a less opaque project, project documentary wise. It used to be a bit, oh, what the hell's that doing? But, uh, now it's, <laughs> yeah, uh, it, it is, <laughs> it is the, this reference certainly does make it far more accessible. Awesome. Back to you, Greg. Yeah, and
0: we'll have links for, as with all of these things, in the show notes. I don't know if we can have a show. First of all, we always have to have a show with ALM Rangers, and that's coming. But, you know, this individual seems to think we use her name in vain, that we invoke her on every show. And pretty much we do, because we like her. She's one of our favorite people. Angela Dugan was on Channel 9, one of my favorite Microsoft uh, resources, you know because I do a lot of stuff there. She was on episode 438 with David Jayard, David Jard. It's not that hard to say. The Technology and Friends podcast. And Angela was do talking with him a good uh, little 12 minute segment on uh, project retrospectives. So if you've uh wanted to see Angela in person Well, you can see her on demand, so you can see what she looks like. You can talk about – you can uh, um, do this cool podcast. The Technology and Friends podcast is actually a kind of nice podcast. It's been around for a while now too, and they cover a lot of different areas. And um, secondly, you want to learn a little bit more about projects, retrospectives from somebody who's been talking about these kind of things for a while. This is a great podcast.
1: Cool. One more thing for me to try to listen to. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah
0: it's so many things
1: well all righty i got one last thing i want to throw out there real quick which um i'll be completely honest with all of my listeners out there i haven't necessarily dived into this in a lot of detail but we've also got a, a link out there on the visual studio alm blog site about managing your technical debt with a, a planning update on that about some stuff that's coming in in the next quarter here and they're talking about sonar cube integration with dot net they're talking about um all kind of like a dashboard widget for for your sonar cube analysis builds secure installations of sonar cube and azure all kind of stuff so if that's up your alley go check out that link in the show notes and with that i'm going to turn it back over to greg and be quiet
2: <laughs> richard have you guys used uh sonar cube yes we're, we're, we're we've been using it internally as a sort of proof of concept for a little while and we're just about switching it on now and we're starting to actually use it for production usage. So we're now pushing all of our builds, go have a uh, Sonar Cube uh, element to them, and we're looking to use it to replace the uh, style cop and FX cop test that we used to have inside our old automated builds. It's reached that sort of point now that it's. Uh, Most of the rules are there. There's a few sort of the style copish rules that are missing. The one sort of all your documentation doesn't match your method header sort of things. They're not all there yet, but the bulk of them are getting there and there's regular updates. The big change for us with that, though, is Sonar Lint, which I think they mentioned in that post. Which is the client side version, the bit that goes inside Visual Studio. Because one of mm-hmm. the problems we were having early looking at Sonar Cube was you did an analysis locally with FX Cop, Star Cop, whatever. And it said, you're, you're in violation of these problems getting fixed. You checked it into the server, and SonarCube said something different. <laughs> because the rules were subtly different, some of the, the SonarCube ones were all written in Rosalind, little changes. And it was enough to be a bit of a barrier. But uh, SonarLint came along, so you could run the, some of the Sonar rules, all the Rosalind-based ones, inside Visual Studio, so the dev could run the same rule locally before they checked in, so they shouldn't get an error. But it was still a little awkward because the way the rules were managed. But the big change they made a month or so ago, and it's Sonar Lint 2 is Sonar Lint in Visual Studio. You can tell it where your Sonar Cube server is and you associate the project. So you can, if you change the rules that you want to run on a project in Sonar Cube, Sonar Lint picks up that you've changed the rules and downloads the appropriate rule sets and pushes it into your .net solution effectively they look just like fxcop configuration files uh, and all of the rules are there locally so that means the dev if you go and change your plan as to what you think are appropriate rules they drop down onto your machine and you get to run the same so it keeps it all in sync and that's probably the reason it's probably the major reason that we've got yes this is ready for us to use now up till then it was there was just that little bit of friction um so it's yeah it's a it's a product we really like the look of how cool is that? Mm.
0: <sighs> All right. One last thing before we go into Richard's posts, which is we've kind of already talked about, but uh, um, ALM Rangers can't have a radio TFS show without talking about our ALM Rangers. Some of our favoriteest people uh, last actually last show or previous show. We asked uh, our audience to ask you guys out there to give us a jingle and nobody gave us one. So we don't have a jingle, but we're going to talk about ALM Rangers anyway. Willie Peter talks about a roll-up board widget created by Michael Kerf. Kerf? Kreef? Kreef. Mickey, I swear, we have to go to, like, name yes, pronunciation yeah. school. <sighs> uh, it's a, a great little widget to roll it up. It really pretty sounds exactly what it is. It allows you to display aggregate views of your Blacklock board on your dashboard. You know, simple, easy, but one of those things that once you have it, I, I, you'll never want to look back. So go ahead, check it out. We'll have the links in the show notes. Richard, you've been like kind of blogging up a storm here recently. What are some of your your most recent blog
2: posts? Well, it's fair to say that my blog is my long-term memory. It's (laughs) – I I blog, otherwise I'd forget. Uh, And (laughs) I'm disturbed the number of times I go on site, find a fault – search for it, and find the answer was on my blog. So <laughs> think of these as memory dumps. Uh, but at the moment, as I say, we've been playing around a lot with SonarQube, so I've been doing a few posts about that. Uh, one of the asks I got from our staff is, well, we're starting to do quite a bit of more stuff using TypeScript, uh, so can we wire in TypeScript into SonarQube? So I went through the joys I had of uh, getting that set up, there's some open source tooling that wrappers the TS lint tools, so it can wire all that together, so that gets run as part of your SonarCube process. So there's quite a few little hoops you have to jump through there because we're, we're hopping through a few languages between the TypeScript and the Java that's going to run it, and then it's sitting on a machine, and there'll be all sorts of other things in there. So we've been doing stuff with that. But one thing I've been doing an awful lot uh, late is writing Visual uh, VSTS Extensions, predominantly build extensions. It's always been my sort of major area of interest, sort of building the product and shipping it out, so sort of the release management side. So uh, I keep finding little things that it doesn't quite work the way I want, or I just need that little tool. So normally I start by prototyping it in invariably PowerShell, because we're predominantly a Windows shop. uh And if I think it's useful, I tend to wrap them up into VSTS extensions, and there's quite a few of those of mine up there now. Uh, And what I realized was that uh, the process I go through to write those and the tools I use to package everything up is probably of interest to other people. So I've got a series of posts up there on my dev process for it, how I'm prototyping them, the tools I'm using for my editing. And though I'm doing everything in PowerShell now, I've managed to just about change everything over to using Visual Studio Code as my development environment. And then there's a series of posts out there as I push up any new extensions, like I pushed up some this week that uh, help you manage a few things to do with builds. So one thing we do is we version stamp all of our DLLs and anything we create, packages, as part of the build. Quite common thing. <laughs> but when we release a product, if we've just released version 1.2 point something, I never want to build another 1.2 I have to remember to go back and increment all the numbers and I forget. So the stuff I was pushing out this week just allows you to go and alter a build variable from a release pipeline. So the last step of my release pipeline is go back to the build that started all of this and increment that number by one. So the next set of builds that chain through the system are all pushed on. So it's little things just to try and remove those frictions. So it's a mixture of gotchas and well how, how did I do that so frankly so I can remember in six months time how I did it
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I hear you I, I, yeah my blog I do the same thing if that's my you know remote uh, memory store I, I don't need to remember the details I just need to keep a pointer in my brain that I blogged about yeah, it yeah
2: exactly isn't that what everybody uses them for? <laughs> yeah, really. So I'm looking at
0: your blog now, and I have to laugh at the picture that you have from your Twitter feed with your MVP pins. And there's a little Channel 9 guy who's like MVP pinned to death there. Yes.
2: Well, that's why I had to uh, – I, I was down at an event recently. they got some of those uh, tuxes with the Microsoft Cloud Services. On uh-huh. Open I need I, I needed to bring in the uh, the Linux Penguin to take some of the load <laughs> off my MS, my, MS, my Channel Nine guy because he he can't take any more. <laughs> Is that a sign
0: of today of the new Microsoft? You know, a Channel Nine guy and a and Tux yep.
2: sitting next to by each by other. Side. Yes.
0: Yeah. <sighs> All right, Richard. Well, now let's let's talk about you. Let's 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 introduce you to the rest of the world even more so than than we've already done.
1: Um, Half hour. Yeah, well,
0: we've got – where are we at now? Uh, Yeah, we've got 15 minutes or so to introduce you, and that's about it. So let's hear your whole life, everything you've done in 15 minutes or less. No, just kidding. Um, Actually, what I wanted to do is – what is the coolest thing that you've done? Just, I, it doesn't really have to be even development. It doesn't have to be technology. Just what is the thing you look back on as like, yeah, that's, that was top of the bucket list and that's marked off.
2: Well, going back to what you were talking about earlier on, on vacations, I'm often the poor in a, in a month or so for that. Hopefully will be right at the top of the bucket list to going walking <laughs> in the Himalayas, but going back a bit, you know, something in the technology side, we've done all sorts of interesting things. Being a small dev shop, whose basic business model was, we can do that. Uh, we did work on uh, a, there was a big exhibit over here for the for James, for the history of James Bond, and we ended up doing a whole set of uh, museum systems where we got to have a play with uh, a lot of the uh, props from the James Bond stuff and uh, setting up software to show kiosks and things about them and uh, got to meet quite a few people who've been involved in all of that that was a that was pretty cool to work on oh that's cool yeah yeah so
0: another thing i like to ask people what is it that gets you out of bed that that motivates you you know when the alarm clock goes off it's like do, do you get to do you jump out of bed and say, oh my god guess what i get to do today
2: what is it that that does that for you I think uh, as probably a lot of people in this line of work is it's oh look new shiny something new to play (laughs) with I've not seen one of those before what if I push what if I pull it's 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 the ability to have a job where I can still channel my inner toddler as to just get out there and sort of go yeah that's new I've never seen one of those that's interesting what can I do with it I, I still find that Hopefully every day. Okay, you have days that are a bit. Oh, that's a nasty document I've got to write. But most of the time, I get to play lots of new toys. And uh, the way the Visual Studio team are punting out new releases, it doesn't look like there's going to be any shortage of new toys. Does it?
0: Does it make you feel tired? No, that's just my age. It's, just-
2: uh, it's an. <laughs> yeah. inter- it, it, you do wonder how long this delivery pace can keep up with VS. And but with so many of the things that we're seeing now out in the cloud, all the various bits of tooling, you know, there does seem to be such a pace that things are coming out. And I think the difference is that we've talked on and off about Azure, and a while ago, you could be an expert in Azure. That's not possible now. You're an expert in some ever shrinking part of Azure because there's so much of it. And VSTS seems to be the same way that, uh, from the people sort of know we're in this sort of space people used to be very general experts but everybody seems to be having to focus in down because just there's is so much of the product everybody has to pick their their little focus and stay there being a generalist is hard
1: oh i agree with that and I, i've pretty much given up trying to be a generalist anymore that was yeah. my goal when i first started back 11 years ago But at this point, it's it's about trying to pick something more specific and stick with it, because even the specific thing you pick is then going to get broader as time goes
2: on, given the pace that they're going at. I think it's an interesting thing that from the people sort of know through the the TFS community, we all started often with very quite weird career path generalists, because you did need to be able to talk to the Dba, you needed to be able to talk to the chief exec, you needed to be able to talk to the project manager and the dev. And have the confidence of all of them, and that often meant for some quite interesting career paths that people had taken to get there. But even if you, even this group of natural generalists are now all specialising down. Exactly. Exactly.
0: I'm going to go off the rails here a second. I'm looking at your MVP page, and you've been doing a lot of DevOps uh, talks, uh, user group conference talks, uh, panels. yes yeah. But it is and I ask this of everybody: Is DevOps real? or is it a shiny, you
2: know, it's, it's, yeah, yeah. I don't think it's a real product. I don't think you can go and wrap me a box of DevOps. Uh, (laughs) I I think there are tools out there that will help, but uh, you need to put a lot more around it. It's got more to do with communication. It's, you know, a lot of it's good practice companies that would, had successful business models 10 years ago we were doing DevOps. It just wasn't called that then. You know, exactly. we've, we've always done all, a good dev cycle is always, uh, you know, you've had an automated build. You ran as many automated tests as was feasible. You don't go and, you know, if you've got a Word document, you haven't got a release process. You wanted a script file to do that. We were doing all those sorts of things. It's just uh, the tooling makes it more accessible now, and it has become fashionable you know it's always the way it's like a few years ago if you put the word agile on a proposal you were going to do an awful lot better than if you didn't (laughs) devops is in that similar position at the moment you know it's 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 the new call i do feel it's a bit my time has come because it's the type of thing i've been doing for a while forever you know or scripting of deployments but yeah it's it is a thing but i'm not certain it's a thing in the sense of A product that you know. Remember when Microsoft put the word .net in every product title? (laughs) It's it it has that feel.
1: No, you know
2: everything's DevOps tool at the moment.
1: DevOps is real. DevOps is it's not a tool. That's Mm. the difference. DevOps is something that actually some like you said. Some places have been doing for years. Some places are just getting into it. But it's not a tool. It is more Mm. of a process and the people. It's not necessarily a a you install this and you have DevOps. So I hundred percent agree with how you explain that, Richard.
0: Yeah, it's a mindset, right? And it's, I mean, it's, yeah,
2: and a willingness to talk to people you don't normally talk to in a lot of places. You know, get the devs to talk to the IT pros and vice versa.
0: Yeah, that was, and I keep coming back to it like every show. You know, since the Brian Keller one, and that was the epiphany that that uh, helped me truly understand the benefit to both sides on the devops it's not just continuous release not just even the scripting the release on it it's the the breaking down of the barriers and from both sides from the development side this is what really lit it up and got me excited about devops and you know maybe i'm going to do just the dev side of the devops and if our ops people don't want to partake, I, I don't care, because there's still value in just doing the dev of the DevOps side, is making your product supportable. What you are developing, what you're writing, what you're rolling out, what you're releasing. I don't know about you, but in the past, a lot of my apps, I never really thought about what is it going to be like to support it once you throw it over the wall. You know, I, I, don't, I added some things in it to make it a little bit easier when the bug reports came in, but just never that was a convenience for my sake not for them. the the thinking about it on the devops just uh, that you know when you're developing it and you're building these features and and you're rolling it out putting in from day one the thoughts about you know how is this thing going to operate and be supported in the operational environment
2: yeah i think it's what something i sort of said to people for a while is the first thing you write is the installer you write mm-hmm. an installer that installs Hello World. Whether the installer means an MSI or an MS deploy package or a batch file that does something, I don't really care. But you, you write that thing, you make sure you can always deploy it in that manner, and then it, life is a lot easier. It, it's interesting, I was at a conference <laughs> in London uh, Few, a few weeks ago now, the WinOps conference, which was, it was it's meant to be a DevOps conference. I'd, I'd say there were more IT pros there than devs, but it was quite interesting sort of having a chat with various people and it felt like that in the IT pro space, things like source control and the type of things we as devs were talking about 10 years ago, and you you'd bump into dev shops who didn't use source control and, oh, you must use source control. You're seeing that now a lot. There's a lot of IT pro shops who are going, well, we have all these scripts, but we really struggle to manage them. And you know, have you thought of source control? Uh, and, but, and, and that's a sort of a, a nice, well-understood technology set that we've got and we can bring to the table. And they're going, and we're going, oh, it's so hard to get the machine set up right. And they can come in, ah, but we have all of this system center stuff, And you know Mickey works a lot in, and... Uh, all of the, the ARM templates and all of those sort of skills that they're bringing to the tables as well, and all the live monitoring, as you just mentioned. And, you know, we've all got stuff to bring to this, but we just have to talk to each other to do it. It's that whole talking to each other. Come on. <laughs> like humans. Well, that's what Slack's you know. for. We don't have to actually talk, we just type. <laughs>
0: So uh, we're, we're coming towards the end. Um, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about Black Marble Limited. Yeah. What, what, does, what does that do?
2: What, what do you guys do? Well, we, we, we started scarily near 20 years ago now, and it's uh, three friends from university. We'd, uh, we'd all gone off and done things post-university, uh, and then a couple of friends of mine were software dev contractors. At the time, I was a network architect consultant, And some work came along that was uh, a bit too big for any one person to do. So we uh, decided to form a company and take on that work. And that was the genesis of it. And we started as a software dev shop, initially a Java software dev shop. And then uh, .NET came along in 1999 and we quickly jumped ship and moved over to .NET. And we've been a Microsoft partner ever since, growing through uh, with that as the product's of a beard. So to say the bulk of our business is still bespoke software development, uh, predominantly back end stuff. So we we tend to you've got a collection of disparate systems and you'd like to link them all together. Uh, we can help you do that. You know, so it's it's biz talk, it's Service Bus. Increasingly these days, a lot more Azure. But all the time we were doing that sort of work, we kept getting pulled into projects. I always say they call in the consultants late to take the blame when it's going wrong. <laughs> uh, and uh, so we were going in and we were commonly seeing here's all the problems oh you haven't got source control or you're not doing work item tracking and all of these things and so a lot of the time we involved we putting in tfs so i was starting working on all of that and then that grew out to that going why are we talking to people after their projects have failed let's start talking earlier so I, we grew out of that the part of the business i lead which is the uh uh, ALM consultancy, or maybe I should call it uh DevOps consultancy. Now we'll obviously get a lot more work <laughs> if we do that. Uh, but yeah, so that's the, that, that's the broad nature of what I do, and that's a reasonable proportion of our business. Still, the core of our business is bespoke development. But I get out there doing education, installations, migrations, any of those sorts of things, and I've got a team of consultants who sort of assist me in various different areas, whether it be testing or reporting or whatever. So that's Black Marble nice yeah. so it's so, it's actually it's, know, it's so oh go ahead go ahead richard what No, all all I was going to say is uh, it's it's actually at the moment announced where it's the Microsoft Partner Conference, and it's it's actually we we were actually recognised for doing DevOps work this year, so it's obviously a thing because Microsoft uh, (laughs) have actually got a partner award for it, and that's 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 one we picked up. You picked you picked up the partner. Sweet, congratulations! Yeah, so that was that was for work we were doing on DevOps, sort of automated rollout of systems for a client, as a major client. So, I also know that you've been an MVP for a while,
1: kind, yeah. kind of like me. And I'd real quick like to get your perspective on being an MVP, the MVP program, you know, what it's, you know, how it may have helped you as far as career or personally, and and anything you might want to tell anybody out there that's potentially thinking they want to
2: get involved with the MVP program. So just, you know, a couple of minutes on your thoughts on that would be cool. Yeah. The program is absolutely true. I think. When you talk to other MVPs from other disciplines, you realize that your experience of the N V program is very dependent on the product group you interact with. And I don't think you can fault Brian Harry and his crowd. No, they're, no. they're so open with the MVPs, whether it be at the face-to-face at conferences or on the numerous uh, Skype meetings and the like, they're so open to help with anything that you've got. And it's it's such a great community It's and it's, the community as well, sort of in, in in Asset, you know, there's so many people you can reach out to by there that just because someone in the product group doesn't answer, you'll get an answer from another MVP. And it's that community side of it. It's, it's coming back to that, everybody talking to each other. It breaks down so many barriers. I, you know, it's one of those, I, I just can't speak highly enough of the product group and the way they interact with their MVPs and with the other MVPs and how open and helpful everybody is. So it's the classic... There's no secrets. It's engineers talking together. <laughs> 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 you know, it's, it is that thing. It's that, uh, everybody's really keen there to help, but it's, it's an interesting one. So if people are interested in becoming an MVP, I think it's almost one of those. Don't try. You, you've got to get in there and just be doing stuff you love doing. And I, you know, it, it's always somewhat opaque how you become a, an MVP and some people are very active podcasters or very active on forums. And I speak quite a bit at user groups and conferences, but I also blog quite actively, but. I'm not sort of going out and doing those because, oh, that's a great way to become an MVP. It's, like, <laughs> that's, that, it's literally, well, as I said, my bloggy, so I don't forget things. And I just find it a useful place to search because the search tools on the Internet, I've noticed, are quite good. If I put it in uh, documents on my hard drive, I'll never find them again. So, you know, it's, it makes good sense there. I and mean, you know, I like talking about it. The tools I like working with, I, so talking to user groups is interesting. And I think if you can find the field that you're interested in in that same space, get out there and do those things, eventually you get noticed by the MVP program, assuming you're doing a competent job. And you made a comment that I completely, agree with, which
1: is I think the best MVPs are the ones that have not act, did not actually try to push and try to necessarily become an MVP, but they got out there, they got involved in the community, they showed what they wanted to, to talk about, they showed they cared about giving information to the community regardless of whether they were getting any recognition for it or not, and those are the kind of people that really care about what they're talking about, and they're the kind of people that get. Ultimately, get that recognition. So, I think that's a great comment.
2: Yeah, I think it's one of those. Would you stop doing what you're doing if you weren't an MVP tomorrow? And if the answer is no, I'll carry on doing it, you're probably the right person to be the MVP. There you go.
0: Yeah, when they look at you and they ask, or they say, What do you mean you're not an MVP?
2: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You just sort of assume they are, and then you find out (laughs) they're not.
0: (laughs) Well, it's about time to start wrapping up the show. Richard, where's a good place for people to uh, uh, connect with you?
2: My blog is a good place to go. Uh, that's got sort of all the stuff I've been doing, and that's got obviously the contact form. There's also Twitter. I'm at Richard Fennel, so that's sort of fairly straightforward to get a hold on. So uh, I'm not that active on on Twitter. You don't see vast amounts of posts. If you look at my timeline, it's mostly just saying I've done a blog post. So, uh, But, <laughs> you know, I, 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 I do answer both of those if people want to get in touch. Cool. All right. Got some
0: feedback. We've actually got two twitters, uh, Twitter posts, Twitter's tweets. Uh, Josh Garverick. Yes, Josh. Another person that we can't do a show without mentioning. Thank you, Josh. Uh, was kind of making fun of uh, our Brexit show that – Martin and I did, that we jinxed. I have to apologize. Richard, I have to apologize to you. No matter what side you were on, uh, when we did the show on the election day and and Martin was pretty, you know, pretty certain that it was going to uh, remain, was going to win, and uh, we jinxed it. It's it's
2: Martin's fault, actually. Look who we've made our foreign secretary. It's all coming back (laughs) to you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, That's okay. We'll
0: elect Trump, and we'll see. We'll, we'll yeah, I'll but, throw your weird, yeah. your weird policy. Boris Johnson my, uh, and uh,
2: Donald Trump. That, that, that must be a critical mass of weird hair. <laughs> um,
0: we have another tweet, and he, his your name is not pronounced G M A N I A C K U C U K one. Wanted to just said thanks for a great show. And, uh, he is our one SVN listener and at least. So we have at least one SVN user who's listening to us. So thank you for your tweet. Uh, Donald Schultz of imagine it. I again, I want to thank you and thank you for having lunch and, uh, uh, having a beer with me. I actually dragged my son along. So it was kind of a weird thing. Donald met us at a local, uh, uh bar and grill that my son happened to go to and we had a good, nice like long one and a half, two hour, just, Geekfest chat. I'm gonna try to get him on the show as a as a future uh, guest. And last, I need your help, guys. Peter H E C H T uh who emails us a lot and listens to a lot. Thank you, Peter. He's got a problem. Um he is worried they need to upgrade from 2012, TFS 2012 to 2015. Uh, he, his boss wants to, he wants to, everybody wants to, but they're scared. They're terrified. And, and I can, yeah, I, I, anybody who's got TFS on-prem is can understand that. You know, that's a, all of our IP. What happens if it breaks? So he was wondering, um, is there a, at one point, Microsoft had a team to help upgrade to 2015. And I think that was a short-term thing. Uh, do you guys have any uh, suggestions, comments, resources, people to contact uh, that might be able to help them assuage their fears? Any suggestions?
2: Well, the, uh, the obvious the place to look is the- Marble. that's one i was going to say look at the mvp list look for mvps with for alm in your in your country there's a fair chance they're consultants they might well be interested but the top tip i always give for people in those situations is do a practice run i you know the chances are the server that's on is somewhat old and you might want to replace it almost certainly they need to upgrade the sequel as well because it's probably too old a version be that Check in. I can't quite remember, but I think they'll probably have to do that. So the way I normally recommend for that type of upgrade is spin up a new server, put the appropriate new version of SQL on it, take backups of your existing system, your normal overnight backups, restore them, and then on the new rig, install the new version and see how it goes. And if it goes horribly, you format it and start again. And you keep doing that until you're happy with the process. But you don't. T- you leave the old server as a read-only replica. There's a few little things you have to be careful of if they're connected to the same network. But broadly, that DR failover technique is is my favorite for that type of scenario, and it really minimizes the risk. Oh, absolutely.
1: Yeah, I think- got nothing to
2: add. <laughs>
0: um, actually, the good news, and we talked about this, I think, last show, Peter, is that as long as your uh, TFS 2012 came with support for SQL server 2012 SP one or two, cause I was in the same boat. I went, we had 2012 on-prem. I upgraded it to 2013 update two. I upgraded that to update four. And now I'm just holding off to go to TFS 2015. Um, I've already looked at all that um, the server requirements and we're all good. Probably This is probably the last time. GFS 2015 does support SQL Server 2012, SP1 uh, minimum. Same with the SharePoint. Everything that I had on that box is still supported for 2015. Confirm that, though. Double-check your environment.
2: I think there's a fair Uh, chance you might well be on SQL 2008. mm -hmm. And that's where it starts to get interesting. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah, That that would be interesting. Um, But uh, back it up. Back it up. Back it up, uh, then back it up, and then what was that? Oh, back it up again.
1: Snapshot, uh, back it up some more.
0: <laughs> Peter, I got another thing. that we, One of the earlier posts that we talked about is uh, uh, from um, Risi when we were talking about that. Yeah, I uh, pronounced TFS. his name completely
1: wrong, by the way.
0: It wouldn't be a show if we didn't butcher everybody's name. He's got a good post that I'll put in the links in the show notes on how you can create a safe clone of your TFS environment. That's kind of also what you want to do, and exactly what Richard is talking about. You kind of clone that environment, do this upgrade on that clone, do it safely. You have to, you have to be careful when you are doing it in with these earlier versions. But um, he he walks you through how to do that. You upgrade it there. Hopefully, you'll be good. But then back it up, and then back it up again. But do you guys have any? No, I am actually not too worried. Peter, in my environment that I've did 2012 to 2013. I'm not worried about the infrastructure. I'm just pretty much being kind of, you know, lazy to upgrade to, to 2015. Would you guys recommend that he go to 2013 first or go straight from 2012 to 20? You can do that, right? As long as
2: it's a supported route, jump straight across. Okay. There's no point going in between that I can say. Okay. The only reason I'd normally do is because I've got issues with SQL, you know, sort of, I'm, I'm on such an old version, I need to move it forward to a later version of SQL so I can then upgrade something and hop it on again.
0: All right, Peter. Well, I hope that helped. I, I'm not sure if we actually answered yeah. your question. Uh, <laughs> there are a lot of contacts, a lot of people who can help you paid or or free, a lot of resources on the web. Uh, back it up, back it up, back it up. And gentlemen, I, I believe that is a show. Any last parting words, Richard? Ouch. That hurt.
2: No, no, no. It's been really enjoyable to have the chat. So thank you for having me on the show.
0: All right. Thank you, Richard. And thank you for uh, for uh, coming on. I really appreciate it and being flexible with your schedule. Okay, that's great. Thank you. All right. If you guys want to give us feedback, send us an email, radiotfs at outlook.com. Or if that doesn't work, radiotfs at gmail.com. Reach out to us at Twitter, at radiotfs. Post on Facebook, www.facebook.com slash radiotfs. Voicemail. We haven't had a voicemail in a while. One, four, two, five, two, three, three, eight, three, seven, nine. Leave us a voicemail. If it's safe for work, we'll play it on the air. And Mickey, Richard, thank you again for being on. And thank you for listening to Renew TFS.